0: Hello, Jeff Lumley here. I'm uh, sitting by the River Thames, by a weir, uh, to bring you today's talk, uh, which as you probably know, is in Romans chapter 12, verses one to eight, and also looking at part of Matthew chapter 16. Romans is a book we've been following through as we've gone through spring and summer. Not all of our talks have been based on it. Sometimes people have chosen the gospel reading alongside it, but we've basically been following the theme of Romans, which is in itself a mountaintop book in the Bible which gives such clear and great views. And then there are various chapters in it which themselves give peak views and Romans 12 is one of those. So we're going to look at the first eight verses of Romans chapter 12 today. And uh, in order to set the scene, Andy Chater is going to read those eight verses for us.
1: The reading is taken from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 to 8, A Living Sacrifice. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to be to God.
0: Thanks Andy. Now I'm going to, if you'll forgive me for a moment, ignore verses 1 and 2 or at least not ignore them but hold them in abeyance and we'll come back to them. I'm going to start with verse 3 Paul is saying this, not me, for the, by, by the grace given to me I say to every one of you do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. And the, the context is the whole of Romans that we've read so far and in the context of that he says well look you Even though God has done all this for you, Romans 8, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're part of the body of Christ. But don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Because we need to come together and recognize who we are. Verse 4, each of us has one body with many members. Verse 5, so in Christ, though we, though many, form one body. And so the whole of the thrust of what he's saying here is that we are together in this. We are the body of Christ. And so each of us should think of ourselves with sober judgment. Now, what that means to start with is we're not here to compare ourselves with each other.
1: I wanna be like you.
0: We're not here to start getting irrational and saying, I wanna be like that person or that person, or I want the same gifting as this person or this person Uh, but instead we come together with a sober judgment about what my role is and he goes on to talk about the body and he goes on to talk about the purpose of the body. Now another analogy he uses and others use in the Bible is not of a body but of an army and in the, the scripture, it talks about the fact that we are the army of God. And an army is something which has a purpose and a mission and a goal. The purpose of the army is the nation, is to serve and protect the nation. The mission is that which is given to the particular part of the military so the army will have a different mission to the navy and probably uh, one regiment in the army will be sent to one place with a particular mission whilst another regiment is sent somewhere else with another one and then the goal is that of the division of the army and that of the particular group of people who've got one goal which is to defend one place or to uh, capture somewhere else And within that army, individuals act, but they don't act according to what they personally want to do. They act according to the commands that they're given from above. And those commands are to support the goal of the division and the mission of the army and the purpose of the nation. And individuals have to move away from, I want to do this and I want to do that. So when we look at the body of Christ, what is the purpose? It's to unite the whole. All Christians are together in the body of Christ. It's to carry the soul. The spirit of Christ resides in the body of Christ. And it's to enable the role of God's kingdom coming on earth, to unite the whole, the whole body in unity, to carry the soul of the spirit of Christ and to enable the role of God's kingdom coming. So in verse 5, we belong together and we have different roles. So with sober judgment, we don't say, oh, I wish I was a worship leader like so-and-so or a um, great preacher like this person or that person or an evangelist like someone else. I wish I was like that. No, our role is not the same as that person. We have our own goal. And there will be a team of us who have that goal, probably. And we should be discerning who's in that team and we should be working together with them. And our purpose is to support those around us as we seek together to do God's will. Our purpose is to be lifting up the others around us, not trying to be them, not trying to outdo them, but encouraging others in the bit that they do. And not going home and saying, Oh, I wish I was an evangelist like Bob Telford or Richard Sharp. I wish I could do what they could do. No, we're to do what we have been given to do. Verses 6, 7 and 8 tell us that we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If your gift is prophesying, prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, teach. If it is to encourage, give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And I can just hear you thinking, oh, I've heard so many talks about what my gifts are. And many times I've been asked to think about what my gifts are or what someone else's gifts are in the group. Well, this isn't really the context of what Paul is doing here. He's not saying find out what your gifts are. He's saying you jolly well know what your gifts are. How are you using them? It's not about what they are, it's about whether you are actually exercising them for the purpose of the body, of building up the body. And building up the body means two things, doesn't it? On the one hand, it means bringing more people into the body, making the body bigger. But on the other hand, it means strengthening the body. You know, if an artery does not take blood down the left arm, the left arm withers and dies. And it's no good the artery then criticising the arm and saying, you are, your job is to lift things up. Your job is to uh, pick up the food so that the body eats it and I, the artery, get the blood flowing through it. It's no point the artery complaining about the arm not doing its job if the artery hasn't encouraged the arm and supported the arm. And so our job is twofold. It's to make sure we do that which is our role and to encourage the others around us, and if they're not actually able to fulfill their role, to think, is it because I'm not doing my job, or do I need to encourage someone else to do theirs? So in the context of that, let's go back to verse one. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We're to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. Sacrifice is to give up 100% entirely. You cannot take a lamb from the flock and say, I'm going to 95% sacrifice this lamb. The lamb given for sacrifice is totally given. And our lives What he's saying is they need to be totally given. It's no good saying, um, I'll do the youth group on Tuesday night. That's my bit for God for the week. The rest of the week, I'll go off and do what I want. 100% living sacrifice. Everything is for the body. Everything is for the body which is to unite the whole of the body of Christ, all Christians, to carry the spirit of Christ 100% of the time, enabling the role of God's kingdom to come. You see, it's not about, and it never has been, about you. There is a common thing in the church today where people say things like, God loves me, he made me this way, So I can just do what I want to do. Uh, I have this particular thing in my life, but God made me. He loves me. So he must want me to be like that, even though the Bible says it's wrong. Well, no, it's not about you, except to the extent extent that you are giving yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Sacrifice is laying it down. Whatever it is you say, God loves me. He doesn't care about this, or he does care about this, but he doesn't mind me having it because he made me like he did. Therefore, no, God calls us to lay down our lives. And even things that are not sinful, sometimes he tells us you mustn't do them. Think of Samson, Hebrew lad. God said to him, You must never cut a hair on your body. Now, cutting your hair, having a haircut, going to the barbers, going to the hairdressers is not sinful. But sacrifice means you do what God says. And God said to Samson, did I say Samuel? It's Samson. God said to Samson, no haircuts, no shaving. You are going to look a complete mess for the whole of your life and you're gonna do it for me. And even though having a haircut is not sinful, Samson's sacrifice said, yes, I'll do it. So there are times when everybody else is doing something and God says to you, no, that's not for you. And we have to say, I will do what God has said to me, even if it looks silly. Martyrs are called to lay down their lives literally, but the rest of us are called to do it too to be focused on the purpose of the body, not the desires of our own imaginings. And this comes from revelation. There's a point where God speaks into our lives in a way that something connects. It's a revelation moment. And that moment is a point where God says, here's the next thing, will you do it? Peter had a revelation moment in our Gospel uh, reading, which if you haven't read it, or even if you have, Nita Kantaputi is going to read it for us now.
2: The Gospel reading is taken from Matthew 16, verses 13 to 20, and I'm reading in the NIV version. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks
0: Thank you, to God. God. Thank you, Nita. Another famous passage of scripture. And again, one that is often quite misunderstood I think but uh, well we'll have a look at that but the the key point for me today is verse 17 when Jesus explains to Peter blessed are you Simon son of Jonah for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood but by my father in heaven that this he's referring to is Peter saying you are the Messiah the son of the living God this understanding was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but the Father has revealed it to you. Uh, We would say that the Holy Spirit has brought that revelation from the Father to Simon. And how has that happened? It didn't just happen out of the blue. Simon had spent day after day walking around with Jesus. He'd been listening to Jesus' words. He'd been listening to Jesus' teaching, and he has Heard the word and seen in action the kingdom of God in Jesus. And when he's asked, who do you say I am? That revelation comes, you are the one spoken of in scripture. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. You are the one that we have been waiting for in Israel and that revelation has come because he has been studying Jesus and now his human flesh and blood understanding has been added to by the revelation of the father given to him at this moment and that revelation has changed peter's life because he can't just walk away from Jesus now he knows he is talking about the living god and Jesus goes on to say, and English fails here because there's a clever little pun on words. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And we know that Christian tradition has had it that uh, Saint Peter is the, you know, the first bishop of Rome, and and uh, certainly the Catholic end of tradition will say that all the popes have come from Peter, and they are. Uh, based on Peter and Peter is the rock. Well, Jesus didn't say Peter was the rock. He said, you are Petros and on this Petra I will build my church. So he used two different words. Uh, You are Petros, you're a stone that I could pick up. You are a, a stone I can now handle. I can pick you up, Peter. I can hold you because you're now a stone that has given yourself to me. Peter picked that theme up in his own letter when he said, all of us are Petros. All of us are living Petros. All of us are living stones. The church is built up of living stones, one on the other. And in the last but one chapter of the Bible, Revelation, it says the walls of the new Jerusalem are made up of these living stones it actually says they're made of jasper and jasper are stones and every single piece of jasper is different to every other single piece of jasper so individuality is there the living stones are in the walls of jerusalem you're all living stones if you're in the church we're all living stones peter simon you are a living stone you're a stone and on this rock I will build my church. Well, what was the this? Well, the this was the same this as the last this, if you follow me. What he said was, um, Simon, this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, and on this I will build my church. So on this revelation I will build my church, that I am the son of the living God. The revelation of Petra, the rock of understanding, of hearing the Word of God, believing, because we've had the revelation from the Spirit. So, how does God build his church? By people having revelation and confessing it in faith. It says that in earlier in Romans, if you were listening a few weeks ago. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess and are saved. So we have Peter having this revelation. Let's go back now to Romans. And let's just stay with that beginning part of Romans because we had in verse 1 that, uh, sorry there's a loud helicopter going over, it, we, we heard in verse 1 that we have to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, that is your true and proper worship, that's what we're here for, to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, uh, holy and pleasing to God. And verse two, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. And he goes on then to say, and you do this because you're the body. You do this to build each other up. You do this with each other, having sober judgment in yourself. But verse two, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you can test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And that's roughly what was happening with Peter, isn't it? Other people, including the Jewish leaders, were saying Jesus is a rebel, he's dangerous, he's um, maybe a teacher, but he's off the ball, he's moved away from Judaism, the pattern of the world. Peter gets the revelation and he no longer conforms to the pattern of the world but is transformed by the renewing of his mind. And what we see is this transformation changes his whole life. How did it happen for Peter? Well, it happened because he had studied Jesus diligently day after day, plus through the Holy Spirit, the Father gives him revelation about what he's studying. How will it happen for us? It will not just happen, as again some Christians teach today, you get some Holy Spirit zapping and everything's fine, because the Holy Spirit's revelation to us comes out of our diligent studying of Jesus. And so what we need to do is to commit ourselves to diligently filling ourselves with His Word. If all we do is fill ourselves with news at 10 or um, the, the, the gossip at work or whatever it is, we are just constantly being filled up with the stuff of the world. We need to overcome that by filling our minds with words of jesus we need to study jesus and we need to study jesus diligently and we will get revelation from time to time maybe not every day in fact definitely not every day you will get revelation from time to time though as you study his word the more you study his word the more revelation you will get Now don't take my word for it. 500 years ago, uh, Thomas Cranmer, Archbishop of Canterbury, I think, um, wrote some sermons called homilies, And these are recorded as being something that should be read and studied by all Anglicans. It's in the 39 articles of the Church of England. And indeed, this was probably the first ever Christian broadcast the homilies that Thomas Cramer wrote some, but he edited them all, the first book of homilies, And what he did was, he said, well, not just him, but the others with him, that your, your average parish priest wasn't very theologically up. I mean, there, there wasn't the training in those days, and they didn't have a great deal of theology. So we wouldn't expect them to produce sermons because who knows what they'd come up with so instead they wrote these homilies and they sent them out to the churches and said every week you read one so as i say it was the first christian broadcast these were broadcast throughout the whole of our country the whole of england heard these week after week and the first one is about scripture and i'm going I, i've been uh, i working through them and uh, updating the language a bit so I can understand them and I'm going to read you the conclusion of the first one of Cranmer's homilies about scripture. Let us be glad to revive this precious gift of our Heavenly Father. Let us hear, read and know these holy rules, injunctions and statutes of our Christian religion and upon which we have made profession to God at our baptism. Let us with fear and reverence lay up in the chest of our hearts these necessary and fruitful lessons. Let us night and day muse and have meditation and contemplation in them. Let us ruminate and, as it were, chew the cud, that we may have the sweet juice, spiritual effect, marrow, honey, kernel, taste, comfort and consolation of them. Psalms 56.4 Let us stay quiet and certify our consciences with the most infallible certainty, truth and perpetual assurance of them. Let us pray to God, the only author of these heavenly studies, that we may speak, think, believe, live, and depart hence according to the wholesome doctrine and truth of them. And by that means, in this world, we shall have God's defence, favour, and grace with the unspeakable solace of peace and quietness of conscience. And after this miserable life, we shall enjoy the endless bliss and glory of heaven, which he who died for us grants us Jesus Christ, to whom the Father, with the Father and the Holy Ghost, be all honor and glory, both now and everlastingly. 500 years ago, Cranmer was concerned that the church would take the Bible seriously and would ruminate on it and chew the cards. Not just listening to it once on a Sunday, not just even reading it once in the day, but thinking about it and meditating on it and putting it into their minds. Now if you're following the, uh, this um, service on the, uh, the web page of the church internet site today, uh, there's a video at the end with ideas of how to read the Bible, and I'll also link that video into the podcast uh, page. But what we're really saying here is the revelation that comes when we are studying Jesus diligently. You won't get the revelation without the hard work. He is good to give us revelation when we do the work and say we want to know you more. And then we will find that our eyes are changed. We are offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. And we're no longer conforming to the pattern of this world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. And we will truly become worshippers, which is what you and I were made to be. Learning the Bible is also important. Some former students of mine have set themselves a the task of setting many Bible verses to music to aid memory. You can find them on walkingbible.org, walkingbible, one word, .org. I'll finish with a prayer and then we'll listen to, Reve- to Romans chapter 12, verse 2 from them. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promise that as we study it, you will bring us revelation And it will change our mind, it will change our understanding of the world, it will make us better members of the body of Christ, better soldiers in the army of God, better able to unite the body, to carry the soul of Christ, and to enable the role of your kingdom coming. Help us to commit more to the study of your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Romans twelve verse two Do not conform any longer to the passing of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good pleasing and perfect will. Romans twelve verse two.